Thank you for tuning in to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. We're a church in Lakewood, Washington, and whether you're listening from around the corner or from around the world, we're glad that you're here. We hope this sermon equips you to be the Christian the world needs today. If you'd like to learn more about us, head on over to lakewoodgrace.com. And now, for this week's sermon. Hello, friends. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Today we end our Ten Commandments series, and uh, we're going to take a, a moment to kind of recap where we've been. These are called the Ten Commandments. They're a gift given to us by God, but I want to tell you the worst way to look at these is if they're a list of ten restrictions to keep you from having any fun, to keep you from really living. I hope by today, by our tenth week here, you've begun to understand that The Ten Commandments aren't the Ten Restrictions, but they're a way of living life, that abundant life that Jesus came to bring us. These are a way of life. They're not just rules, but they're a foundation for a relationship between God and his people. Remember that the Ten Commandments were given to former slaves. Deuteronomy 5.6 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now, you, you are former slaves, but you're free now. In our context today, we are no longer slaves to sin, but have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. That's from Romans 6. Your sins are atoned for, and so it's time to live, Christians. So what does God give to a liberated people? Does he give them the freedom to do anything they want and run free? Thankfully, no. That would be cruel. That would be chaos. Freedom with no boundaries is a terrible pairing. God gives them the gift of knowing how to live. Live like this, God says, and be free. God is establishing a relationship here. And in any any relationship, there's got to be clear and direct communication between both parties because ambiguity in a relationship is incredibly frustrating. Have you ever been around a person that you just, for some reason or another, you couldn't figure that other person out? Do you know somebody that, that no matter what you do or how hard you try, it's never enough, or worse yet, you're always wrong? And at this point, if you're looking at your spouse, I might recommend marital counseling. How about someone who who never gives you any feedback, who is just quiet all the time? See, the reason the Jews loved the law was because God took all the guesswork out of pleasing him. God communicated to his people and he was direct and clear with them about living a life that is pleasing to him, living a life that is good for them. Now, Unlike the pagan nations around them, the Jews suffered no ambiguity in their relationship with God. Those outside of God's relationship with the Jews always wondered what it would take to assuage the anger of their many gods. Unlike the Jews, they were always trying to make their gods happy through sacrifices and brutal rituals. For instance, if you needed more rain for your crops, for your harvest, well, you better hope your sacrifice to the rain god was sufficient. And if it wasn't, and there was no rain, well, it was probably because he's really mad at you. If you need a kid, well, you better sacrifice to the fertility goddess. 
No response? Well, she's probably pretty mad at you. And so you spend your life wondering, what have you done wrong? Would you like financial prosperity and future children? Would you like to live abundantly outside of Yahweh? Well, you can sacrifice your firstborn by throwing him into a burning furnace. These things happened. Not so with the Jews. Psalm 119, 115 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. You see, they knew how to live because God told them how to live a good and pleasing and abundant life. So let's recap and look at how to live here. God said to his people, I saved you to give you abundant life that through you the nations would see me and find their salvation. So if you want abundant life, number one, you will not put anything else before me. God is establishing something here. I am number one. This is what he says. You will no longer put lesser things in my place. You will honor my reputation. You will rest. You will honor your parents and everyone vulnerable among you. You will not put to death the abundant life that I have given to others. You will honor your family as sacred. You will not cheat others out of their abundant life. Your word and your integrity are part of abundant living. And this commandment that we study today, if you want abundant life, listen, here's this last commandment. Trust that I alone am enough. Deuteronomy 5.21, this is our scripture today. So hear now the word of the Lord to you and to me. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God ends his abundant life list with this declaration. People, I have redeemed you and I have given you everything you need to live the good life. There is no need to covet another person because no person can fulfill you the way I can fulfill you. This is what God is saying to his people. No thing can give you hope, can fulfill you like I can give you hope, like I can fulfill you. And I think every person who understands this, who understood what it means to have God say that I am enough, when they saw the movie Jerry Maguire, they gagged at that part where, where Jerry Maguire, uh, played by Tom Cruise, wells up and he finally says, uh, I think it's to Renee Zellweger, he says, you complete me. Do you remember that part? Well, if you understood what God is saying here, you gagged, right? We know that finding our completion in somebody or something else is not the abundant life that God has set out before us. No person can complete you the way God is working in your life, so don't covet another person. Now let's talk about that word here for a moment. Let's talk about the word covet. There are two words for longing in this verse. Did you notice that? Covet and desire. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not desire your neighbor's property or their things. Covet, though carries a negative sense with it. It's like lusting after something, after someone. Desire, though, that's usually positive. Desire is not bad. We're meant to desire things. Are you hungry? Well, you desire something to eat. Are you cold? You desire warmer clothes. Are you lonely? Then you desire companionship. Is your hair too long? You desire a haircut. I know. 
See, this desire thing, it's, it's, it's satisfied when that need is met. We're meant to desire, friends. It's in our DNA. It's put into, into us by our creator to be fulfilled by him so that as people we can aid others and not look, and not look to our own interests first, but to imitate Christ and meet the needs of others around us. You see, desire alone isn't bad. But when our desires for things that we don't have takes our attention away from the one in whom we find abundant life, our desires work against us. And when this happens, we end up breaking a bunch of the commandments. History, right? You'll see how this works out. History is full of examples of people wrongly desiring what their neighbor has. And that desire begins to fester and warp until violence or a murder has occurred, commandment number six, or you covet another person, commandment number 10. It begins with the eyes and then it ends in adultery, commandment number seven. I want it, so you, you have it, rather, I want it, and then I steal it, well, commandment number eight has been broken, and then I cover up to lie about it, commandment number nine. All of these, broken, 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 because if we're not careful, we look to other people and or other things to make us feel complete. When God has been saying the entire time, I am all you need, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, I get it, folks. I, I'm human and I struggle with this commandment, like all of them, but the Holy Spirit and I, we're working on it, right? First Timothy 6.17 says, Don't set your hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. But I also would really enjoy a new truck. I mean, God, you know, when we go back to wherever we're going to meet, we use my truck to pull the Lakewood Grace trailer, and so this is a pretty legit desire, Right? God says, trust me. If we only had a few more dollars in our bank account, maybe a larger home, God says, trust me. If I only had her, and God says, don't even go there, trust me. But God, if, if I only had what they have, my life would be a little bit better. I'm sure of it. If I only had his health, her body, his car, her intellect, his personality, God, if I only had her bank account, his looks, if, I, if we only had a family like theirs, their house, if we, only, if we only lived in a neighborhood and made that kind of money, life maybe for once would be good. And I would imagine God hears our desires like that and, and, and he says, excuse me? Let me get this straight. I redeemed you from a life of sin and depravity. I sent my son to die on the cross so that you shall not perish but have everlasting life, everlasting and abundant life. And you think these temporary things here, these mortal and fleeting moments of pleasure can possibly give you what I can give you? You really think lesser things will complete you? Hmm. Coveting and misplacing our desires 
is deeply offensive to God. Now, the cure for this is to confess, to trust, and to enjoy. We confess our desires. Lord, I harbor these desires. Lord, you know what I covet in my heart. You know who I covet in my heart. And so, God, I confess it to you. That's where it starts. I give them to you. I surrender my wants and I surrender my desires to you. And I ask that you change my heart and make me new. I confess and I repent. That's step one. And number two, then we got to trust. Lord, you tell me that, that I have been given abundant life through Jesus Christ, but those things that I covet really look abundant as well. And to this, God says, trust me. We have to trust. Both confessing and both trusting, right? They involve letting go of something. Lord, I, I trust that what you have given me and what you have offered, offered me is far more fulfilling than whom I covet and what I wrongly desire. So I'm going to lift these things up to you and I'm going to trust that your grace is sufficient for me. We confess. We trust and then we enjoy. And I want to be clear about something. This is not a, an anti-wealth or an anti-possession sermon. Wealth is a tool that some people have and others don't. But if you have it, you've been given it to share. Wealth is a tool that when used properly is an incredible blessing Ministry happens when people share their wealth, right? So wealth in itself is not a bad thing, but the love of money is when we covet more and we desire more. And the Bible is full of scriptures that cover that topic, right? But desiring wealth at the cost of your relationship with God and others is a recipe for disaster. Enjoying things is not a bad thing, but when you step outside of what God has given to you and you focus on things that you don't have instead of God and the needs around you, that too is a recipe for disaster. So what do we do when we harbor a covetous heart and we look to other things to fulfill us? Three things, remember? We confess, we trust, and then we enjoy who God is and what he's given us. Friends, I, I, I pray, I hope and I pray that this sermon series has been a blessing to you. And if you look through these Ten Commandments uh, every week as we've gone through these and you find yourself falling short, what a perfect opportunity to confess, to repent, and receive the grace that we find in Jesus Christ. And if you haven't made that step yet, if you haven't surrendered completely uh, to Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to do that now. What you, what you do is you simply say, okay, God, I surrender. Jesus, come into my life and make me new. And if you've prayed that prayer, God's word says you are a new creation. I encourage you to do that if you haven't taken that step. And if you do, if you have taken that step, please let us know in the comment section below because you need a church to walk through this with you. We're not designed to do this alone. For the rest of us, May this be a recalibration. May this be a reminder that God came so that we may live. Let's join together now in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it comforts us, it challenges us. And through your Holy Spirit and through your word, Lord, we are changed.
So God, we lift up to you those things, those people we covet, those things we wrongly desire. We confess them to you. God, we trust that you are enough, that your grace is sufficient. We trust your word that says you are enough. And God, let us enjoy those things you have given us. Let us enjoy our peace that we have in you, our hope that we have in you, that better days are ahead. Father, we do pray for our country. We pray for peace. We pray for deep divisions to be mended, Lord. Empower your church to be healers in a broken society. Father, we trust you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to the Lakewood Grace Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe and then head on over to lakewoodgrace.com slash connect where you'll find a link to contact us or you can fill out a communication card. Have a wonderful week. God bless.